So we are continuing our series this morning um, on as we study the, the book of James. Uh, and, and we saw last week as we, we started out that James, um, James is a letter. Um, and James, again, was, it was a, an apostle. He was a, a, an early church leader. Um, he, he was one of the main leaders in the, the first century church uh, in Jerusalem. And so he, he ministered to lots of, of traditional Jewish believers as well as, as all of those around it within Jerusalem. Um, James, again, is traditionally believed to be the brother of Jesus. And so he was very close to Jesus. He was, uh, again, saw Jesus, knew him that way. And yet, at the, begin- the opening of the letter, at the, the, the dear people part of the letter, right, he claims right, that Jesus, he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, again, and to hear such a close relative of Jesus make that claim Right, one makes us kind of look up and be like, wow, Jesus made a huge impact on James. Right, one that, that he was able to, to, to get through, again, being raised with Jesus and being a close relative of him, and yet to get to that moment where he submitted to Jesus' authority and, and believed that he was exactly who we claimed to be in the Messiah. And yet we see, again, these, this letter from James. We also see some of his personality come through because James um, just tells us like it is. Right? James doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't water down the message. We never sit back and wonder what's, what James really thinks about a situation. Right? Because the tone of the letter is very blunt right? and is very truthful. And yet there are times where we see the emotions of the heart come through behind the truth. Right? And with that said, though, it is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it is just so clear. Right? But also, we also learn at the beginning of the letter that he was not writing it um, as an evangelistic letter. Again, he wrote it and makes the assumption that the audience that's reading the letter have already accepted Christ as their Savior are committed followers of Jesus. Because it's, it's important to know not just what he says in the letter, but also what he doesn't say in the letter. Right? Is James never addresses the way of salvation. Okay? He never addresses the life of Christ, right? of his death or his resurrection. Okay? Now he alludes to those things, and, he, and, and he, he again makes the assumption that you have accepted Christ as your Savior. Okay? This letter is directly addressed to believers, right? And the main topic of the letter is about what is your life going to look like and how is your faith going to grow after you receive Christ as your Savior, right? And when you think about our vision of joining the journey of faith, right, we join the journey of faith when we receive Christ as our Savior, right? When we confess our sins and invite him into our life and, and that starts our new journey of faith, right? Of that moment of conversion, now we start on a new journey, and that journey is, is being more, like, more and more like Christ, closer to Christ tomorrow than we are today. And we know, again, that, that our earthly faith journey does not end until we are face-to-face with Jesus Christ in heaven. Right? At that moment, our earthly journey of faith ends, and then we start our heavenly journey right? at that moment. So, Which means that if you are not in heaven yet, that your journey is not done, right? That you need to keep growing in your faith, right? That there is more to learn, there is more to do, there is more to follow through with, 
And yet, as we look at this next section of the letter that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at three sections, okay? And as we continue to work our way through, the big concept for all three of these sections of the letter is, is faith and effort, okay? How much effort am I putting into my faith? How is my effort connected to my faith? How does my effort help my faith grow and continue to move forward? Because the truth is, if you aren't growing in your faith, you are actually losing ground. Okay, if you're not growing in your faith, you're actually losing ground in your faith. Because you cannot just sit back and put in no effort and say, hey, I'm just gonna, I've, I've come far enough, I'm just going to camp out with my faith, and I'm just going to stay in this place, and I, just, I, I think I've gone far enough, and I'll just stay right here. Because the truth is, you don't stay there. If you're not growing you're actually moving further and further away from God. Because our world and the culture that we are surrounded by is moving further and further away from God every day. Because of the sin and the fallen world we live in and our culture and our world is moving further and further away from God. Now, it's a slow drift, right? One that you don't really notice very, very much right at first. But if you are sitting still, you are not... You're not staying where you are. You're actually losing ground. This is a concept that we know to be true when you look at, in our financial world, we know this concept, right? And what is true in the physical world can also be true in our spiritual world and our spiritual life. Again, financially, we know that a $100 bill today is worth a very different value than it was 50 years ago. Okay, because of inflation, because our, our culture, right, and, and, and our, our economic world continues to, to drift, right? And, and again, it's not staying the same. That $100 is not worth the same today as it was 50 years ago, right? And the same is true in our faith. If you are not growing forward, you're actually losing ground. Hey, which is why James is so, um, again, strong in his concept that you need to continue to grow. Okay, because if you do not continue to grow, if you do not continue to put effort in, you are actually moving further and further away from God. Now, in all three of these sections we're going to study today, um, James follows the same structure. He, he gives an opening statement of a concept that he wants us to learn, a concept that that will move us forward in our faith, and then he dives deeper into how that concept plays out in our daily faith journey. Okay, so we're going to start with this next section. We're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday, and we're going to pick up with uh, James chapter 1, verses uh, 19 through 27. And that's going to be the first, again, the first passage we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, I invite you to open with me up to James chapter 1. If you don't have your own Bible with you or don't have it today, uh, you, there are Bibles available for you under the seat. Welcome to grab one of those and to use it today as we, as we open up. And you'll see in the outline, again, is the page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, but we're going to pick up here in James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Okay, where it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Okay, so this is that first section, this next section of scripture um, in the letter where, where James gives us this opening statement or this concept, right, that's going to help us in our faith. As we see again, the, the first verse of this section, verse 19, is where he states this spiritual concept. Okay, and he tells us to understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, when I look at this verse and look at this concept that he's giving us, this is an important concept in our world. Okay, because if you look at our world and our culture, okay, look through your social media feed, look through the headlines of the day, right? Look at even the conversations that happen in school or at work or at the grocery store or wherever you are in the world realizing that there are a lot of people that are really angry. Okay, that we are not short on reasons to get offended in our world today. Okay, and when we are angry, when we get offended, right, we are also very quick to share our opinion about what we think about whatever made us angry. Right? And we share it everywhere, right? We share it all over social media. We share it through the news. We share it with those next to us, right? And, and yet, James gives us this concept. He says, no, you are, instead, you are to be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Now, when I was a little kid, we, um, we spent a lot of time with my grandparents. Okay? Both of my parents worked. Okay? We lived in the same town, um, when I was small, and we, we, my, my grandparents watched me and my sister a lot when we were little. You know, I remember my grandma saying this to my grandpa every time he would leave the house. Okay, is, is she would tell him, she said, remember, you have two ears and one mouth. Hey, now again, as a kid, I, I, did, I did not understand what she was telling him or why she would say that to him, but I heard her say it. Over and over again, every time he would leave to go do anything, to go to work, to go on an errand, to whatever in there, I would always hear him say, remember, you have two ears and one mouth. Hey, now, obviously that stuck in my mind, right, as a kid, and I heard this over and over, but, but yet I realized as an adult what she was telling him. Right, she was telling him, hey, listen more than you talk. Right, God gave you two ears and one mouth, Right, and realize, right, she was telling him, reminding him of this concept that James teaches us. You must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because the truth is, we are never short on things to say. Right, again, and I can confess to that, I always have an opinion about whatever's going on around me. Right, and I like to share my opinion, as you probably do as well. 
Right, but remember, we have two ears and one mouth. Right? As James reminded us, we are to be quick to listen and yet slow to speak. Now, why is this an important concept? Well, because he says if, if, you're, if you do the opposite, right, is slow to listen or don't listen at all and you just speak a lot, it's going to take you down this road towards anger. Because if you are quick to listen and slow to speak, then you will be slow to get angry. And like I said, our world is not short of angry people. I didn't say maybe we should do something different. Because our human anger is not taking us to good places. It starts to take us down a very dangerous road. And yet, then we see as he moves on from this concept, he dives deeper, and then into verse 20, right, he makes this contrast Right, of human anger versus righteousness. Right, because he goes deeper into the concept when, when he says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right, he says if you become angry, then it moves you towards things and, and whatever that anger draws you to do and for how you're going to act and, and what, what you're going to say, it's going to pull you away from what God wants in your life. And he kind of bids these against each other and says, it's human anger versus righteousness. And then he moves into the next verse in verse 21 as he addresses what is the true source of our anger. Right? As he gives us the advice and he tells us to, to rid your life of the filth and the evil of this world. Because the filth and evil of the world is going to push you down that road of anger. And yet he also tells us in verse 21 what the source of righteousness should be in our life. Because he tells us to, to, again, get rid of the filth and evil in your world and fill your life with the word of God. Because that can be our source of righteousness. That's how we know what we should be putting effort into in our life and into our faith. Right, as we realize, again, as James is telling us, he's like, hey, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. And then we get to verses 22 through 25, where he, he gives us the keys to this concept truly being lived out in our life. Okay, again, what is the key he presents us to, to have making God's word truly make a difference in our life? The key, again, to God's word making a difference in your life is you, you need to follow through. You need to follow through. But you need not just read it, but actually do what it says. You don't just look at yourself in the mirror and then just walk away like nothing's wrong and just forget about what you saw. Right? Have you ever thought about that, that reading God's word is like looking in a mirror? I've felt that before, right? As you read that passage, it's like, oh, how did he know? Beginning, you think about it, you look at a mirror. Why do we look at a mirror? To say, oh, do I look good? Is my, is my hair messed up? Well, my hair's never messed up, but yours might be. Right, if you, if you, if you look at, at the mirror, you see your hair's messed up, right? And you're like, oh, my hair's a mess, and you just walk away. No, you do something about it. Right, now, if... Again, he says, otherwise it's just useless. It's wasted time. 
So again, why, why does he tell us, again, practical ways to truly follow through with God's word? He gives us three steps in verse 25. Again, he says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Again, he tells us to look into God's word, and then he gives us three practical ways that we follow through with God's word in our life. Okay, so on your outline, I encourage you to underline the phrase, look carefully into the perfect law. Underline the phrase, look carefully into the perfect law. And then on this, right next to that phrase, write step one. Okay, step one on how, how does God's word truly make a difference in my life? Okay, is I look carefully into the perfect law. What does he mean? It means, what again, what's the perfect law? It's your Bible. Okay, that is the source. Okay, that's where God tells us what we're supposed to do. Again, we cannot do it if we don't know what it says. All right, so that's step one. He says, look carefully, study God's word. Okay, look carefully into it. And then the next step, right, after we, we study God's word, we look carefully into it, then underline the phrase, do what it says. Do what it says. Okay, and next to that one, write step two. So step one is I study God's word, I, I learn it, I know it. And then step two is I do what it says. I follow through and actually do it. I look into the mirror and I make changes. Okay, and then step three, okay, is underline the phrase, don't forget what you heard. Underline the phrase, don't forget what you heard. And next to that one, write step three. So I study God's word, I know what it says, I learn what it says. Okay, step two is that I actually follow through and apply what it says to my life, and I live it out, I do it. Okay, and then step three is, is I don't forget what I, what I hear. Okay, I don't forget what I learn. Okay, now if I do these things, what's the result? If I walk through steps one through three in my life, right, the result, again, is God will bless you for doing it. Circle the phrase, God will bless you. Put a star next to that one. I want that one. Right, and he gives us the, exactly the steps to take to get to that place. Right, is, is I, I study God's word, I carefully look into it, I do what it says, and I don't forget what I hear. Now again, it, how do I apply that into my life? Again, when I think about don't forget what I hear, right, one of the, the foundational core spiritual disciplines right, that we're told to do right, is to memorize scripture. Now, again, I get it. I'm not good at memorizing things any more than you are. Right? And I always think, I'm like, I, I'm a, I, have, I own a lot of, several Bibles, right? I can look it up. Right? It's on my phone. Right? But there's, again, there's lots of ways that you cannot forget it. Right? Again, you can sign up for the daily email, right? You can read the devotional. You can do all those kind of things. But there's nothing as powerful as memorizing Scripture, committing it to your memory. 
Okay, and it's worth the effort. It takes some effort to do it, but it is worth the effort. Hey, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you one of the, as I've experienced in my life, like I said, as I've tried to do it, okay, is that there are times, right, when, you know, I, I, I'm facing something. I'm thinking, Lord, what do I need to do? And that he brings up that scripture in your mind that you've memorized. He can't bring it up if you've never put it there. Again, do whatever you got to do to be able to work on that, right? One of the things that I've done in my life is I literally write scripture on the, the mirror in my bathroom. I take a dry erase marker, I write it up there so that as I'm getting ready in the morning, I just read it over and over and over again, and it sticks in your head. And again, I know others, right, that literally make flashcards. Right? I mean, whatever you need to do, it's worth the effort, right, to not forget what God's word says. Right? And as we, as we work through these, then he goes into these last two verses of the section, verses 26 and 27, okay, where he gives us three ways to practically apply this concept. He's saying, if you do these, go through these steps. If you do this, here are some places it will, it will, it will change, bring change in your life. Okay, the first thing he gives us as an example of how to practically apply this concept is to control your words. Right? He's saying, you will control your words your life. The next thing he says, he says, is to care for those without families, right? Widows and orphans, right? Those that are not surrounded with, with family to help them, you help them, okay? And again, to do what it says. And then the, the last thing, right, that he tells us to do, this practical way to apply this, he says, is to refuse to let the world corrupt you, right? Just draw the line saying, it's like, nope, I'm not going to let that pull me away. It says, refuse to let the world corrupt you. Again, there's just a few examples, right, that he gives us of the ways that this will apply in our lives. And by the way, he dives deeper into all three of these things later in the letter. Okay, so we're going to get there as we work our way through the letter. We'll see each of those topics again. Okay, then we move into the next section where he does the same thing. Okay, the next section of the letter is, is verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Okay, where James gives us, again, a spiritual concept in the first verse, and then he dives deeper into this concept. Okay, now as we look at James 2, 1 through 13, okay, this is an, an important section of scripture, but also one that we do not have time to cover this morning together right now. Okay, and so, again, it's important. I encourage you to read through it, to, to look at it. Um, again, it, all of our, our small groups that do the sermon discussions and follow-up this week will go into this passage in a deeper way. Okay, again, if you're not in one of those small groups, those, those, all of the, the questions are available for you at the Info Center. You can grab them and take them with you and work through them on your own. Okay, I encourage you to do that, but I'm going I'm to summarize this section for you. Okay, the, the spiritual concept he gives us in chapter 2, verse 1, is when he says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. Again, what's the spiritual concept that he is teaching us here? Okay, is he is telling us that how we treat and interact with other people really matters. How you treat and interact with other people really matters. Remember again, who is he addressing here? He's addressing believers. Right, people who have received Christ their Savior have committed to follow Jesus in their life. And he, and he is reminding them and reminding us 
as followers of Jesus, the way you treat and interact with other people really matters. Right? Because not, not just within people, within our own church, but as well as everybody you come in contact with throughout your week and your life. Right? Now, again, how, what is our reputation in our world as followers of Jesus and how we interact with other people? It's not great. In fact, even how we interact with each other within the church is not great. In fact, this, uh, a couple weeks ago, I sent out an article to our staff. Every week, every week we meet together as a staff uh, for a staff meeting, and we you know, work together on everything that we're working on in different areas of ministry. And again, a couple weeks ago, I sent out a, an article to the staff, and because and, we do a, a training piece as a part of our staff meeting each week. Okay, the, the title of the article I sent out to them, I said, look through this, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, the title of the article were the top 10 ways that churches drive away first-time guests. Okay, and, and we looked at that article, and, and again, there were, there were 10, 10 things that, that people had, you know, answered in surveys and things about why they didn't go back to a church. Okay, now three out of the 10 dealt with how they were treated and interacted with the people that already attend that church. Three out of the ten. Okay, now the, the only, there was a, the other one, that there were another three out of the ten that dealt with the facility, like the cleanliness of the facility and that kind of, those kinds of things, right? And then the other four were just kind of very random stuff. Okay, but three out of the ten, right, were about the way that different believers interact with each other at that church was major reasons why they would, didn't want to come back to that church. I hope that breaks your heart as much as it breaks mine. Right? The way we interact with each other really matters. Again, if that's the, the perspective of an outsider, like, what do we walk away with sometimes from church? Right? In the way that we've been treated or, or interact with somebody. Right? But not just about how we interact with each other within the church. Not just on Sunday morning, but but every interaction you have in your life is, has the potential of either showing somebody who Jesus is or pushing them away from Jesus. Right? The, the cashier at the grocery store, the waiter at the restaurant, the person that cuts you off in traffic, right? the person that you end up on the other side of the phone when, when they mess up on your bill. Right? The, Whoever that person is, right, how you treat and interact with other people, it really matters because to that person, you might be the only glimpse of Jesus they ever get. Right? And how are you interacting with those people? This is a very important section. But, but this morning, as we, as we look at it, right, we're, I don't want to glance over it because it's not important, but we're going to move on to the final section in James, okay, which is our verses 14 through 26, and those ones we are going to read. Okay, so we're going to jump in again, James chapter 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 14, where it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. 
Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. And so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away on a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now as we read again this section and we see the same structure, right? He gives us this this spiritual concept in the first verse of the section in verse 14. Okay, where he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now, as we read this, I don't know if it jumps out to you, but when I read this verse, this last phrase really jumps out to me. Right? When James says, can that kind of faith save anyone? It's like, wait a minute, time out. Save anyone? I thought James didn't address salvation. I thought he didn't give us the way of salvation. He didn't, he didn't talk about it. So does, does James contradict not only his own purpose, but also the writings and the foundational claim of the gospel, as well as, as the, the writings of Paul that claim that salvation is not by works, but by grace alone? That I cannot earn my salvation? I'd say for... Uh, Many times people have used this verse to say that James contradicts the gospel and contradicts the Apostle Paul. So does he? What is he really doing here? Because we look at this, I I first want to start with, again, the the central claim of Paul that we find in one place of many is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Again, this is a foundational truth of the gospel message of Scripture. Right? We are saved by grace through faith when we believe in Christ and receive him in our life. Right? And that is 100% true. Okay, so does James contradict it? I don't believe he does. Okay, because we have to go back and remember the context of James. Right? The context of James is he is addressing those who are already saved. Right? His assumption is that you already have made this step of faith right? through grace, not by your works. You are not earning your salvation. Right? So if that's not his point, what is his point? Well, his point is this. His point is that we not only need a faith that saves, but we also need a faith that will grow 
and that will last. Remember, James is not addressing salvation. He is addressing discipleship. He is addressing a growth of your faith. And he is telling us here, he's like, you don't just need a faith that saves. You need a faith that will grow and a faith that will last. Because we've all known people, maybe it's even you, maybe it's a part of your own story, right? They have received Christ as their Savior. They've accepted him. They, they say the sinner's prayer. They are a saved person. And then they don't put effort in their faith, and they just kind of drift away. And their faith doesn't last. Right? And when hard times come, or they hear it's something else, or, or another idea, or another religion, or whatever it might be, and they just, they just walk away. And their faith doesn't last. And that's what James is addressing here. And in fact, he's not making a new point at all. And he doesn't contradict Paul at all because Paul makes the same point several times in his writings. Okay, one place that he does this okay, is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. When Paul writes, he says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Again, what is he saying? He's saying, so again, when you place our faith in Christ, right, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. Right? He's saying these are the kind of the letters of the law. These are the, like the do's and the don'ts of the, the Old Testament law. And he's saying it doesn't matter whether you do that or you don't, whether you're circumcised or not. It does not affect your salvation because we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace. But what is important is that your faith expresses itself in love, that you move forward from that place, that you actually produce good works in your life, that it changes you moving forward. And that's what will make your faith last. But right, again, here, um, again, Paul is reiterating, this is not, not his own teaching, but reiterating the teachings of Jesus. Right, when Jesus tells us, right, as a follower of him, to build our life upon the rock, right, the rock of our salvation, and then we build our life on top of that. And why does he say to build it on the rock, not on the sand, but on the rock, so that when the storms come, right, that the house will stand, that your faith will make it through, that it will not come crumbling down. Right, and Jesus, again, was teaching us that once we are saved, that our faith needs to be built on our salvation, and we build it from there so that it will last. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus taught, that's what Paul teaches, and that's exactly what James is teaching us here. There is no contradiction, but there is a very important concept that we need to learn. Right? So important that he actually reiterates the concept at the end of this section. Right? Once again, in verse 26, James 2.26, he says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also, also faith is dead without good works. Right? What keeps our faith alive? What keeps it growing? What, what keeps us moving? What, what moves us closer to Christ tomorrow than we are today? How do we continue to make progress in the journey? Well, it's through doing stuff. It's through following through. Right? It's through applying God's word and, and his teachings and, and not just looking in the mirror and walking away, but, but doing what it says. And not forgetting 
what we've learned. Right? And, and making God's word such a big part of our life that we can, we can never deny it. Again, how do we keep our faith alive? How do we keep it growing? We do it by good works. We do it by following through. We do it by studying God's word, right? By doing life with God and by taking action on what he calls us to do. Right? And that is what will keep our faith alive. Because if we're not growing forward, we're actually losing ground. Because if we're not active and putting in effort every day to move forward in our journey, we're really drifting with the world further and further away from God. And suddenly we wake up one day when the storm hits and saying, how did I ever end up here? Right? And yet James again tells us the truth. Is it hard to hear? Yep. But his hope and intention, and that's my hope and intention for all of us, is that we hear the truth and it drives us to action. So I don't want to end up there. I want to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. And in order to do that, in order to keep moving forward in my journey, I've got to put some effort in. Because otherwise, my faith will not last. And as we realize, again, this concept that, that James, again, pleads with us about, he's saying, please take your faith seriously. Please follow through. Put in some effort. Because this world desperately needs Jesus. And where are they going to see Jesus? They're going to see it in you. Or they're going to see it in all of his followers. That not just read his word, but actually do what it says. Which brings to my final thought today, and that is this, is that if your faith is not actively growing, then you are losing ground in your journey towards Christ. So how much effort are you putting into your faith? How much effort are you putting in? Again, maybe the effort that you need to put in is receiving Christ as your Savior for the first time. Just as I said last week, if you try to do anything that James tells us to do without being a believer, without the Holy Spirit living in your heart, without his power in your life, you are going to fail and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to walk away. Because it's hard enough to do with his spirit. Right? And, but again, maybe the effort you need to take is to, to pray and accept Christ as your Savior for the very first time today. If you're already a believer, maybe the effort is you need to commit to the next step, whatever that is. I don't know what the next step of your journey is. But I hope that you'll follow through with whatever God's showing you you need to do in your life to put in more effort. Follow through with that and make that commitment to him before you leave today. Lord God, we thank you that we can come to you wherever we are. God, that no matter what burden we're carrying, God, no matter what struggle we face, God, we can lay it at your feet. God, we can lay it at the foot of your cross, God, and you take it from us. God, and you forgive us, you transform us, you change us. God, we praise you for that today. God, that no matter how far away from you we might be, it's, it's one step back through your grace and mercy. And we praise you for that today. And God, as we go this week, I pray that you will help us, God, to do what your word says. 
God, to live out our faith. God, that, that we would be closer to you tomorrow than we are today because we are following through and we are putting in the effort that it takes to keep our faith alive. God, we want to represent you in this world. We want to shine your light this week. Lord, help us to do that. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for walking with us through every moment of our life. Help us to shine your light and share your love this week and all that we do in every day and every interaction. We love you, we praise you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.